So we're going through um, the right introspection. So we, we need conceptual prajna. So we need concepts, the, the Buddha's teaching, the Buddha's concepts to think. Because when we, when we think, when we introspect uh, internally, uh, insightfully, we need concepts. And we've been going through um, for many, many sessions of various concepts as expounded by the Buddha. As we said, there is so much in it, like an ocean of literature, an ocean of concepts. We have to pick and choose a few major ones and contemplate on them. You don't really need to, uh, to digest all of the ocean's water, uh, to swallow up the water. You just need to taste a few cups of it and then you know the taste. Right? So we have been going through one of the most important concepts uh, we call it the Noble Eightfold Ways. We have to know the Noble Eightfold Ways. Uh, the Noble Eightfold Ways seems to be quite basic, but many people just uh, glance through the basic in words without really giving it insightful introspection. Actually, there's a lot in the Noble Eightfold Ways that we must understand and we must um, digest it and make sure we have a clear understanding of, of these Eightfold Ways, then we can practice based on these Eightfold Ways. It seems to be some basic that everybody has been going through, but usually the, the more careful practitioner would probe into the details of it, not just glancing the words and then, okay, we, we know the Eightfold Ways, right perspective, right meditation, right speech, right word, that's not, the, that's not um, the way to understand it. Let's try, let's try to analyze it in detail, in more details. The first one is the right perspective. Second one, right orientation, right speech, right action, right lifestyle, right effort, right introspection, and then right mental equilibrium. These are the eight very important eightfold ways that we have to walk through these ways to get to the way of enlightenment. Right perspective and right orientation pertains to wisdom. So when we start to learn about Buddhism, to practice Buddhism, we really need some preliminary wisdom. In other words, all those who, all those who come here today, for example, you must have certain prajna in your mind, certain wisdom in your mind that leads you to come here. You could, could, you could have gone elsewhere, but there is something in the Buddhist teaching that you think could be appropriate uh, to you in your daily life that you can really get merits from that you can really learn from. So you need to have wisdom to start with. So right perspective, it's uh, the right understanding of it. Right orientation is after you, under, you have understood it, then it's not just getting yourself buried in, 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 the, in the wordy language 
or getting yourself buried in, in piles of videos. But you really have to set up an objective in life. You have, underst you have understood uh, the life's perspective and how do you achieve an objective? What do you do with the understanding? There must be something that you are striving for. And then right speech, right action, and right lifestyle would be the morality part of it or the scylla of it. And right effort, right introspection, and right mental equilibrium would be the meditation part of it. And let's get into the detail of this, of, of these noble eightfold, some people say noble eightfold paths or noble eightfold ways. Let's get into the right perspective. It's very important to have the right perspective. The right perspective in the Pali language is samaditti. Ditti is how you see things. Um, to, become, to become aware of four things in life. We call it the Four Noble Truths. To become aware of the sufferings of life, the insecurity of life, dukkha, the insecurity of life. And when we try to analyze the sufferings of life, does that mean that we are, some people say, how come the Buddhist teaching is so uh, pessimistic in, uh, in, okay, understanding sufferings, we're going through sufferings. The understanding of suffering does not mean that you bury yourself in suffering. It is just a fact, a fact of life that we are going through suffering. It does not mean that we want those suffering. Um, sometimes when you are uh, mature enough, so maybe when you're a teenager, when you're a child, you don't really understand suffering. You just go through the suffering without understanding why you are in suffering. Uh, when you are a child, for example, or a teenager, you get sick. And when you get sick, you physically suffer. But you, you just go through the suffering. You don't know why. And when you're a teenager, if you're, for example, if you are living in a family that is, uh, the, the, your mom and dad's marriage is broken or, or a divorce, and you're, you're single, you're being guided by a single mom or single, single dad, you don't know, but you're going through suffering. Or you're being bullied in school, you don't know why you get bullied in school, you just go through the suffering. But actually, are we in suffering? Yes, we are. We are aging, we have sickness, and we, we all understand we have to die one day. You and I, we have, we have to die. You don't think dying is a suffering? Something that we can't prevent, we can escape from. So we have so much insecurity in life. Um, why don't we, some people don't like the word suffering. They say it's, it's too pessimistic. Then insecurity. Don't we have insecurity of life? We have insecurity in our job, in our family, in the society, everywhere. The, the world is imperfect. The world is not perfect. These imperfections give us insecurity. Um, since civilizations ago, our, our, our ancestors feel insecure. They were living in a cave. They were attacked by animals. In order to protect them, 
they, they make tools to protect them because they feel insecure, the insecurity of life. So insecurity of life is another word for sufferings of life. We know there's, there are sufferings. We have actually gone through these sufferings. And what are these sufferings? If, if we want to say just suffering is not enough, what, what kind of sufferings we have? In just what a person, we call it self, we've gone through being born, being born into this world. Why being born is suffering? When you are being born, suffering of your mom, when, you're, when your, your mom is going through the, um, uh, the laboring, going through all this hospital care, and when you come out, um, you may have imperfections, defects, um, ADHD, depression, or um, we're being born with some defects in life, and a lot of sufferings were being born, and aging is suffering, uh, particularly if you are um, you're aging at very, very conspicuous aging is when you arrive at about 50, going to 60, 60 going to 70, and 70 going into 80. You know that you, you, most, in most cases, you, 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 your memory is not as good, your health is not as good, you're not as strong. Uh, uh, you can't run anymore, you can't jump anymore, like, an, like, an, like a, young, a young man or a young woman. And, uh, or uh, your mentality is changing. So aging, so being born, aging, sickness, and death. And then suffering arising from living with hated ones, living with people you don't like. You don't like your wife, you don't like your husband, or working in an environment that you don't like. You don't like your boss, you don't like your supervisor, you don't like your colleagues. You're always living in a place that you seem to, uh, you don't displaced by whatever surrounding you. That's your attitude. Of course, we say, okay, we want to have a good attitude. Yes, you can build up good attitude, but you cannot prevent insecurity in your job, in relationships. All these come. It does not mean that you want them, but there are sufferings like that. Suffering arising from departure of loved ones, when your family members passed away, when mom and dad passed away, your granddad, your grandchild, grandchildren, or when your husband passed away, when your wife passed away, don't you suffer emotionally? And not to mention financially, you know, just emotionally, it's difficult to bear. Suffering arising from many, many other relationships. And this is just about a personal suffering. Um, suffering arising from wars, from natural disasters, from earthquake, from tsunami, from uh, economic slowdown, from unemployment, from sickness, disease. All these are, are these not sufferings? 
Who create these sufferings? Who create them? You and me. We create our own sufferings. You may not notice it. All these sufferings are created by ourselves. Not by God. Not by Dave Mara. Devils. No. We created these sufferings. How do we create them? We must find out causes of this suffering, right? We know there is insecurity in life. We know there's suffering in life. We don't want just to live with suffering. We want to be positive about these sufferings. We want to understand why we have sufferings. We want to find out causes of this suffering, and we want to eliminate these sufferings. And that's for ourselves, for everybody, for the whole world, for all sentient beings. That's what the Buddha did. He found ways to relieve from all these sufferings. He's not escaping. He didn't escape from suffering, being a monk. He wanted to, he, he's, he's not, he was not finding an escapade for getting away from all these things. He wanted to find out why. The causes of this suffering, the causes of insecurity in the Pali language is Zambudaya, causes of suffering. What are the causes of suffering then? We all have to know this, the right perspective, right understanding is we all have to know these. They, they seem simple. They seem that, oh, this is basic, a basic cause of suffering. But many people, after studying this basic cause, they forgot about it. This basic cause of suffering needs to be in your mind all the time to remind you the causes of suffering, why suffering, how to stop suffering, how to liberate oneself from suffering. People just know the language of it, the words of it, and they put it aside as a book on the shelf, and that's it. That is learning the right perspective about suffering. No, you need to introspectively always have to remember the causes. When you know the causes, then you will not commit those causes again. It's just like in, in doing a business, I always compare this to a Harvard business case. You fail in your business. You have to understand why, the, the causes of this failure. You find out the causes of this failure, and you want to find methods to overcome and not let these causes come up again, right? So you do the business again, but if you shelve all these causes and never forget about all this analysis that you have done before, you're going to fail again. But if you always ruminate on it, think about it, always find out, why did I fail last time? I'm not going to commit the same mistakes again. I'm not to, give the, the, I'm not, I'm not to, to, uh, to cultivate the same causes of failure again. You always have to bring your book and read about it, not just the words, in your mind. In your mind, you need to have a paradigm shift. You know what a paradigm shift is? Because why we fail? We always have this habitual thinking. We're always in the habitual thinking of being lazy, not productive, not extrovert enough, or not introvert enough, too selfish, no relations, no public relations. You know, all these are causes. So we need to understand the causes of suffering. 
And how do we understand these causes of suffering? You need to probe into it, to investigate, to analyze it. We have cravings, we have greediness, hatred, jealousy, ignorance, many, many causes of this suffering. We want to find out causes of this suffering so that we won't commit the same mistakes again. And we need to have the right understanding of these causes. Actually, all these, you need to analyze it, put it down in words, paste it on the wall, cut and paste. Paste it on the wall, these are the causes of suffering. I don't want to repeat the same causes again. This is, these are the causes of success. This is the causes of getting into nirvana, getting into enlightenment. These are causes getting into ignorance. So you need to know the causes of suffering. And we say, what are these causes? These are the Four Noble Truths. We need to analyze each one of these. Not just analyzing them, get a report of these things, understand them, put it on your desk all the time to remind yourself. You don't repeat the same failure again. How to liberate from sufferings. Understanding the causes is not enough. You need to know the way to be liberated from sufferings. So you have the maga is to find a way that you can get away from suffering. And when you know those methods, many, many methods, you pick and choose the right method for you. And you follow that method until you are completely liberated from suffering. This is what we call the Four Noble Truths. So the right perspective is to be aware of the Four Noble Truths. The first Noble Eightfold Way is the right perspective, is to know the Four Noble Truths. Suffering, causes of suffering, way to be liberated from suffering, and how to liberate them from suffering. This is a method leading you to happiness of life. Say if your marriage is broken, you have a divorce. Why? One of the causes for my bad relationship with my ex-husband, with my ex-wife, that these are the causes. And I'm not going to repeat the same thing again. I want to find out a way not to do, make the same mistake. I want to change. This is a very scientific way of leading your life to happiness, leading your way, your life from insecurity to more security. So the, the Buddhist teaching is not about believing, about how to find ways to improve your life, not of just of this life, improve your spiritual life too. So that's the right perspective. We need to have the right perspective. I'm, we're, not, we're just giving you guidelines in here. It's one of these. Dukkha, Zamadaya, Naroda, Maka are just, are just the topics for you to investigate into. You need to investigate more into the right understanding. If you, can, if you say, oh, life is beautiful, every day is beautiful, 
then you don't even understand that actually you're going through suffering. Life is beautiful. But how come we see so many things that are not beautiful? It does not mean that we hate the world. We love the world. Not only the world, we love the beings of the world. We want beings of the world to be more happy, to stay away from suffering. That's why we are very positive. We are very optimistic because we know that we can change. We know that all these pessimistic things, pessimism, can change to optimism. We know that all this insecurity can change to security. We know that unhappiness can change to happiness. That's the reason why the Buddhist teaching is optimistic, is active, is changing, is going for the better, going to improve, going for improvement, going to change, change for the better. All right, that's the right perspective. And then the next one, when we know, that when, we, when we properly understand life, we usually say, when we know life has suffering, is the first step to understand life. The next step is find out the causes, why we suffer. Design methods to get away from this suffering, not just for yourself, for all sentient beings. And then you get to, the, to Nirvana, Naroda. Right orientation. Once you know all these, once you have the right understanding, you can't just sit there doing nothing. You must, have, you must carry out this paradigm shift to replace your habitual thinking by a new and noble way of orientated, a noble way orientated towards enlightenment. To become aware that happiness comes from serenity of mind, not from experiencing sensual pleasures, but from letting go of the notion of self. And this paradigm shift is aimed to gain control over our emotions through the practice of morality, sila. Samadhi is attention and focus, or mental focus, mental attention, samadhi, and prajna, which is wisdom. Vibhasana, which is wisdom. Once we have the paradigm shift, we begin to practice the next three steps, aiming at achieving sila, that is avoiding bad, you know, sila is avoiding bad, and bhatta is doing good, related to our speech, action, and lifestyle. So the Buddhist teaching is very practical. Once you have the right understanding, you need to work towards it, not just empty talk. Oh, I know, right understanding, oh, insecurity of life. But how do you change it? You got to walk the board. You have to walk it, not just talking about it. How do you walk? You need to have this paradigm shift. Change your habitual thinking of ignorance, selfishness, greediness, hatred, jealousy, depression, oh, you name them. All these things, you need to change them. You need to change this habitual thinking and replace it by noble way orientated towards understanding, enlightenment. 
And, but we need to do the easy part first. How do we do it? We need to avoid bad and do good first. If you have the right understanding, every, every day you are, you, you are lying, stealing, you know, sexual misconduct. You're doing all kinds of bad things. You haven't even started. You haven't even started in the right way. So the Buddha said, once you have that wisdom to guide you, the paradigm shift, the first step is to achieve siller and bhatta related to something is easier to, to change. One of the easier things to change. Change your speech. Change your action. Change your lifestyle. So the Buddhist teaching is very practical. Once you know how to have the right understanding, you need to work at it. Where do you start to work at it to change your life? You need somewhere to start. Not just believing in a in Buddha, and then you can, everything is okay. I believe in the Buddha, and the Buddha look after me. I still can keep on to be, to be a wine, you know, to do whatever I want to do, as long as it pleases my senses. I can steal, I can, I can steal, I can lie, I can do whatever I want, as long as my sensual pleasures feel happy, I can do it. No, the Buddha said, no. You have to start with speech, action, and lifestyle to have the right guided by the right understanding, started to change in your speech, in your action, in your lifestyle. These three things. You need to change these three things right away. Take the action. And how do we change these three things? That brings up the third noble way. The third one. What's the third one? Right speech. In order to do good, in order to change for the good, change geared towards, orientated towards enlightenment, you need first of all to watch your own mouth, <laughs> so to speak. What do we do with our mouth? How do we react with externalities? Through what? Through our senses. And one of the most provocative sensitive senses that we are using to do bad behavior, bad, is bad things, is speech. Watch your speech. This is speech that does not create conflict. The speech does not create, the speech that should not create hatred, enmity, disunity, disharmony among individuals or groups of people. Why do we have this insecurity? Why do we have crime? Why do we have this bad relationship? It's because of our speech. Watch your speech. Instead of speeches that create disharmony, we want, we want to create speech, the speech that creates happiness wherever we go, such as abstinence from lying, Abstinence from abusive or foul language. Abstinence from flattering, flowery language. Abstinence from slandering, bubbling, gossiping. Every one of these is just a topic. What's the definition of lying? 
what does lying lead to? All this is written down in the Buddha's Siller Canon. What is regarded as lying? You think lying is just lying? It's, it's written down in many, many words in precepts as the definition of lying. Why do you do lying? Causes underlying lying. What lying would lead to? How do you watch out when you are speaking? If you lie, how do you repent? How do you change it? All this is written down in the Silla canon of the Buddhist teaching. We call it Silla, S-I-L-A, or the Vinaya. Lying, Silla is like, Silla contains millions of words, like the law book. But it's just, just to summarize them, any speech that is dishonest, that would inflict harm to others, insecurity to, to others, disharmony to others, disunity to others, enmity to others, hatred to others, that is lying. And lying is not just verbal. It's also written. You're drawing up a contract that lie. You're drawing up a contract that conditions should change without letting the other parties know. Or you, you camouflage the words. You make it wishy-washy. All this is lying. How obvious is lying? Some are very obvious. Some are hidden. Some are not intentional at the surface, but they're intentional in, in, in the subterranean part of it, the underneath part of it. So in order to understand more about lying, you really have to go to the Silla, what you should do and what you should not do. That's the reason why people follow the five precepts. But when they, become, when they, become, uh, uh, when they follow the Buddhist teaching, I want to take the five precepts, abstinence from lying, abstinence from killing, abstinence from mis sexual misconduct. After they take these precepts, they would try to investigate and understand what actually is every one of these precepts that they should follow. And that's what we call conformity to the sila. So, right speech, abstinence from lying, abstinence from abusive and foul language. Have you been using abusive and foul language? every day with hatred, with ignorance, with retaliation, creating disharmony, disunity, and hatred on the other parties. Some you do it intentionally, some you do it unintentionally. Abstinence from flattering and flower language. How do you flatter your girlfriend? Your boyfriend, because of their ignorance, abstinence from slandering, babbling, and gossip. We, every day we are doing this. And you think after you've done this, nothing will happen? Every disunity, every disharmony that you created in speech, you sold a, you sold a seat in your lie consciousness, a condition in a lie consciousness which need to 
a disharmony effect in the future, which would again affect you yourself. So, right speech. The Buddha said, after you understood the right orientation or the right perspective, you have the right understanding. The next step is to carrying out in the right orientation, improve your speech. You have to have the right speech. Otherwise, you're creating a lot of bad karma. And who would suffer from this bad karma? Not only your enemies, you yourself, you suffer from it. Or all those people who are surrounding you, your family members, your colleagues, would suffer from the speech that is not right. And then the Buddha said, right speech is not. Enough. You need to have the right action. Sama kamata. This is ethical, uh, ethical and moral behavior, which is always pleasant to ourselves, to others, such as abstinence from harming or destroying the lives of all sentient beings, abstinence from stealing, abstinence from sexual misconduct, such as illegitimate sexual relationship. Right action. Have you been doing the right action, or have you been doing the wrong action? If you have been doing the wrong action, you are suffering, or you are about to suffer in the future. It will bounce back to you. You think you can get away from all the wrong action that you have done? Causality would get you. Not God. Not the police. The, pol the police may not catch you in this lifetime, but the bad karma that you have done would always stay until it is clean out. When the effect comes out, you suffer. You are you're just balancing, so to speak. We always give you an analogy: balancing your credit and debit. The debit and credit has to balance. You suffer. Why are you suffering now? Because of what you've done in the past. Why are you poor now? Why are some people so rich? Are they filthy rich? They, the money come from bad places. There must be reason for you to be rich. There must be reason for you to be poor. And all that is written in the Buddhist. Teaching to tell you the causality of rich being rich, causality of being poor, the causality of having uh, uh, a loyal relationship, a loyal relationship. All these have reasons. All these have conditions. So the Buddha said, right action. You need to have to do always the right action. I'm on, on the, the fourth Noble Eightfold Ways. The first one, as we said, is the right understanding, which includes the Four Noble Truths that you understand, compassion you understand, many, many other things, for example, sunyata, emptiness, non-self, all these we should understand. Okay? So right action. Don't just talk about it. You have to do it. Right action. All right. Next, 
right lifestyle. Remember the first right perspective and right orientation. You need wisdom to think about it. And right perspective is to understand it. The right orientation is you set up an objective in life to improve. You set up an agenda for yourself to strive towards happiness. You don't, you don't just live like a, like a robot, you know, live every day from day one to day two, and then you die finally. You live with spirit. You live with an objective in life. And right orientation is set up this objective. And this objective in life, you have to have a paradigm shift to change your habitual, inappropriate thinking to the right thinking. And then you're gearing yourself towards enlightenment, which is to get away from sufferings. Not just yourself get away from sufferings. You also have to render your compassion to help others to get away from suffering. So the th the, and then the Buddha said, let's start with something simple. That's the third noble truth. Right speech. Fourth noble truth. Right action. Fifth noble truth now. It's the right lifestyle. And some people call it the right profession. Okay. Sama ajiva. It means that one should abstain from making one's living through a profession that brings harm to others, such as slaughtering animals for profit, trading in arms and lethal weapons, intoxicating materials and drinks, cheating, promoting, uh, being a con artist, uh, a sexual misconduct, etc. One should live a harmonious lifestyle, which is unselfish, honest, compassionate, and tolerant way of living that is helpful but not harmful to anyone in the world. So we should practice sincere butter. Silla is to not do bad. Butter is to do good. In addition to not doing bad things, you, have to, you really have to do good things too. Not doing bad things is, is passive. Doing good things is active. In addition to just being passively not doing bad, you have to be actively doing good. It's two sides, two sides of a bird. To, be, to, to, get into, to get to happiness, not just reframing from bad stuff, you have to do good stuff. Two things. Two wings need to fly. So, practicing sila and bhatta is the foundation of being a good person. Because usually some people say, what did the Buddha talk about how to be a good person? What is the definition of a good person? What is good to you may be not good to me. What is regarded as, as a good thing could be a could be bad thing in another society. So what's the definition? The definition is, if it is bad, it will be inflicting harm, disharmony, disunity. If, it's good, if it is good, it will be promoting harmony, unity, happiness. One has to develop the mental discipline to achieve enlightenment through the next three ways. What are the next three ways? Right effort, right introspection, and right mental equilibrium. Now, these are the remaining three noble ways. Now, we have talked about the, the fifth one, right? The first one is 
right understanding of life. You must understand life, right? Right understanding. The next is set up a objective in life to achieve at that right understanding. Where did it start? Where should I start first? The Buddha said, start with what you've got. You've got speech, you've got action, you've got mind. Start with right action, right speech, and right lifestyle. If you can't even start at somewhere easier, somewhere you, you can actually touch, you can actually work on, where do you start? You don't want to start on something abstract, right? After you, you started your right speech, right action, and right lifestyle, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's just being a good person. You need to have what? You need to have an ele elevation. Elevate from this world. Go to that enlightenment. Go to that complete bliss. Go to that state where the Buddha said, difficult to describe. We just call it nirvana. Go to that place where you are absolutely free from this world. In other words, leave the hotel that you are in. That's not a good hotel. We're now living in a hotel. We're a guest in a hotel of what? Of suffering. We are living in a hotel. That hotel, individually, we call it the body. This body is a hotel. Uh, that's uh, microscope, uh, microscopic. Uh, remember when we study the world, we said there's two in, it's in two parts, a micro and a macro. Now, even in economics, we have microeconomics and macroeconomics, micro market and macro market. Micro, this is body. This body is you. You are just in your hotel. This is the hotel. You are just a guest. You are just a guest of your own body. You don't own this body. A hundred years is up, you're going to die. We're going to die. You're going to leave this hotel. But why are you so attached to this hotel? Not only do you attach to the physical body of this hotel, you're also attached to the mentality, the senses, the pleasures created by these senses of this hotel. Not only do you have to leave this hotel, you also have to leave this macro hotel, which is this world. The Buddha said this is a world of reincarnation, a world of samsara, a world of life and death. In addition to leaving this body, you have to leave this world. We sound like an alien. We sound like we would be living in an alien. We'd be living in E.T. or be living in... You think this is the only world? The world is unlimited. This is the world the, the Buddha described as, an, as a world of suffering, a world of insecurity. And the Buddha pointed to this world, said, say, go somewhere, go to that world, get out from this macro. This is like a jail. We're living in a jail. Sometimes we feel happy. Sometimes we feel unhappy. And in this jail, we strike up a lot of relationships in this jail. And the Buddha said, not only do you have to live 
to leave this micro body. You better leave this macro world. You call it world. It is an inferno. And do you believe this world is an inferno? Why don't you analyze what we've seen, what we experience? If we really want to analyze a little bit, look, look, at, look at things closely. The family unit, the family unit is a unit that binds you. The community unit is another unit that binds you. The world is another unit that binds you. You're living in there. You, you, you exercise in there. You, 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 you behave in there. You're creating, we're creating all this karmic energy in there. It seems that we can never get away from this karmic energy that we're building up. The Buddha said, escape from this karmic energy. It's no good for you. The Buddha said, carry out this paradigm shift. It's difficult to have this paradigm shift, but you need to get out. And it's urgent. It's very urgent. Why? Death is always waiting for you. Not just 10 years later, 20 years later. Could be tomorrow. And if you die tomorrow, what do you do? You roll into another hotel, another micro hotel. And that hotel could be what? Could be a terrible B&B only. And no dinner. No lunch. Just bed and breakfast. It's just a B&B. And even in B&B, there's so many kinds of B&B. A squatter hut is a B&B. If a B&B in, in, in the central part of an undeveloped country is like a coconut can, a shack you live in, and every day you're making, they're only making a dollar every day, and you're picking garbage in a heap of garbage. And you're living in a world of epidemic disease. You're at the age of six, and you're going every day to the heaps to collect garbage, and you sell it for a dollar. And a few years later, you come back with an epidemic disease that you die at the age of 12. Many cases happen like that. What is your next hotel? I don't know. Who gives you this hotel? Who created this hotel? Not God. How can God create a bad hotel for you? I don't believe in a God giving you a bad hotel, right? Not God. You yourself created your own hotel. Don't create any more hotel anymore. Are you not tired of sufferings? You're not tired. You're not tired of this suffering. Oh, okay. Then uh, we're not tired but we need to eat. <laughs> this is a need that keeps this hotel going. It's a burden. I need to, as there was a very famous philosopher, a writer, Alan Watt, and he said, we're like a test tube. We put food on one end and get all the undigested product and getting out from the other end. We're like a test tube. All right, I'll see you in the test tube room. Yeah. <laughs>